Hey, this is Barry, co-host of the I'm Not an Expert But podcast. This is our second episode where we talk about Donkey Kong 64, how much fun it should be in games, and discuss the effects of nostalgia on our experience, and discuss a few odds and ends at the end. Thanks so much for listening. Here's the show. Cool. Welcome back. It's been... Hmm. Has it been like a month? Have we been trying to get this damn episode up for a month? Is this is this, is this that, what's happened? <laughs> yeah, I'm afraid so, my friend. Yeah, well, we had to ditch another version of this, and, and uh, it, wasn't, it wasn't good. So we're back. We're going to talk about... So one of the things that, if you listen to the previous episode, um, we decided... We, we sort of presented this show as a video game-centric podcast. And what's happened is that the uh, once I bought the domain name... Uh, and started to build the website around that. A lot of the content that has been being um, produced on that website is not really fitting into that mold. Uh, it's generally whatever I want to talk about. But I do tend to have the same kind of approach and mission in anything that I do on that site. But there's no reason for there to be a lot of incongruity. So this I'm Not an Expert But podcast is going to be a podcast companion to the website. And if we do video games, it'll be tagged video game. If we talk about books, it'll be tagged books. You know, if we have something else that we want to talk about, we talk about movies or whatever, that'll be what we do. Uh, that way, we can. That way, we can sort of do what's most what's most interesting to us instead of sort of trying to cram uh, a formula into something that probably wants to to be something else. So, how do you feel about that change, Clay? I think, yeah, I think that's a very positive change. It gives us a lot more freedom and lets us do pretty much whatever we want, really. Clay found out about this today, so <laughs> <laughs> even though I emailed him three days ago about it, so yeah. that's fine. So, Donkey Kong fucking sixty four. Okay. So I uh, I wrote I wrote about this game indirectly a couple of days ago, like a week ago, in the post titled "Do Video Games Really Have to Be Fun?" In which I basically point out that is funness an integral part of evaluating a video game, and is it ever acceptable to turn off a game or to reject a game or to criticize a game objectively for being not fun enough or or not fun or just lacking in fun? Is, is that as absurd as saying this food is not delicious so we we had we talked about I talked about that a little bit so that's mostly what I, that's kind of to me that's what I wanted Donkey Kong 64 to be about and Clay actually likes this game and has a lot specifically to say about it so uh, if I kind of was more the ringleader last time with the Persona 4 structure uh, even though Clay had a lot to say I think we're gonna let Clay be a little bit more structured a little bit gonna we're gonna pivot and have this be more of a Clay focused episode how about that I like that idea he likes it all right Although, good. Uh... I hate to step on your toes so early in the in the podcast, but uh, what's so crazy about saying this food is not delicious? What's so crazy about it? Well, the idea is if I said this food is not del- if if this food is not delicious but it's still good, that's kind of strange, right? If I said oh, this okay, food is but it's still good, yeah, yeah, this food is this food is not delicious but it's great because it tastes bad, people would kind of look at you funny. And sometimes we get this a little bit. If you're into um, bitter food, right? People that are into spicy food or bitter food, people that drink coffee or beer. Some people just aren't into those 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 foods, and they say, "Well, why do you like that? It tastes good." And the the phrase is, "It's an acquired taste." But uh, I think that it would be kind of you know it would be very strange for somebody to literally insist beer is not delicious. Uh, mm. They can say, "I don't like beer. It's too bitter for my taste." If you really press them. Or I, I, don't, I don't like coffee, it's too bitter. But to say that the food is not delicious seems kind of strange. So when we, it, the, my question was, is fun analogous to video games in this situation? Is Do all games have to be fun? Because uh, we don't hold, we don't hold literature to that standard. We don't hold film to that standard. I don't think anybody who has watched Solo or one of the more just weird gross films or would consider that to be a, a fun experience but they would certainly defend the artistic integrity of what was going on so why is it that when i was playing donkey kong 64 i thought this is not fun i'm not doing this anymore why is that sort of the gold standard for video games and not something else uh, regardless well, of whether dk64 exactly... is a good game yeah what exactly do you define as fun though do you define it as just something that gives you a good feeling or just do you get general enjoyment out of it i think that fun has to be as to be pleasurable sort of upfront meaning uh it's not just that it's because you can it's not mere enjoyment 
Uh, you can enjoy things that aren't fun, uh, but funness in this context has to be something that you experience. It's it's the same. It's really the same feeling that you have when you play games as a kid, when you're having fun and you sort of get this really this sort of this very specific cocktail of brain chemicals uh, that that people mean when they mean fun. It is kind of a hard thing to put into words, and I, I, I'll accept that as sort of a, perhaps an important point of criticism of uh, the argument that I made, so that I didn't properly grant a definition of fun. But I, I guess what I would say fun is what, ex- what children experience and adults experience through alcohol <laughs> among other things. Or among the, in the, you know, the, the company of adults, right? I remember when I was a kid, and I'd go to my dad's parties, and I, used, I remember one time I said, Dad, Parties, grown-up parties are just people standing around eating and talking to each other. And he's like, "Yeah, like that's boring." Uh, so when I when I say fun, I mean a, a, a experience that is exhilarating and refreshing and pleasurable up front. Uh, the the uh, the chemical equivalent of like candy. Uh, whereas if okay. you watch, if you sit and watch all of King Lear, uh, that's not fun. But you did ex- you did experience an emotion, other emotions that were ultimately pleasurable or under or ed, or ed, the concept was like edifying or educational so you have the edu, you have educational experiences that make you f- understand things better which is its own kind of rush and then you have edification which is what people experience in church reading self-help books uh sometimes they might get that from specific scenes in literature or film where they feel like the scene or the dialogue is communicating an idea that it feels true and inspiring to them or, or, or elucidating something that they didn't they didn't quite understand previously. Uh, and that's actually an important distinction as to whether or not something is or isn't uh, academic is, is, is part whether it's whether it's uh, educational or, or edifying. If a work is edifying, is it just a sermon and not really serious? And it's a, it's a similar kind of kind of distinction there. All so right. would you say that you had fun in playing Donkey Kong 64? Honestly, I really did. Okay. But I think that most Mostly the fun I was feeling was from my nostalgia goggles, because I loved this game as a kid, and those positive feelings, I think, have bled over into my playing it in my adult life. Um, Do you think so, that that happens for other things? Like, have you ever rewatched... Oh, definitely. Well, have you ever... Re- I mean, does or doesn't happen to other things? Have you ever rewatched like, I don't know, Doug, or some cartoon <laughs> from, like, when we were kids and realized it wasn't as good? Yeah, because um, I've had both experiences. I would say I've gone back to things and been like, "Wow, this is great," and I've gone back and thought, "Wow, I really, I really specifically, I thought Doug would hold up, and Doug does not hold up." <laughs> yeah, uh, I think uh, Power Rangers was that way for me. Like I uh, recently watched like some of the old ones, and I'm like, "Wow, I don't remember it being this silly." Power Rangers was never good, but it was enjoyable anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But uh, regardless, you had fun as a kid with DK sixty four, and now you have fun vicariously as an adult. So, what, what was it like going back exactly. and playing it in the last two weeks or so? Last two weeks, I um, see. I played it for a while uh, in preparation for this, and never bothered to put my nostalgia goggles aside. And then we kind of had that uh, botched video where you said, you know, it wasn't good, and you know, I've always kind of considered you to be a a fairly good judge. You have very keen eye for these things, so I tried to go back to it and, like, set aside my nostalgia goggles and just play it for what it was. And when I did that, I kind of saw what you were saying. Like, the common gripes I was seeing online and everything, they all kind of started to click and make a little bit more sense. I guess I'm going to be a little bit more critical of the game than I was at first, because I think, ultimately, the reason people love this game is because it was so great at the time, mm-hmm. and not so much right now. Well, because listeners haven't heard that episode, because it doesn't exist anymore. Um, right. Uh, I, I was not necessarily going on the mat saying that the game was objectively terrible. More so, I was frustrated at the fact that I wasn't having fun, uh, and I knew that if, that if I wasn't having fun, I wasn't going to get far enough into it to have a lot of critical things to say, and that mostly I was concerned with how clunky and cumbersome doing very basic things felt to me and i wondered if ui and just game pacing being so fast now that like my attention span has gotten just messed with that's true i mean camera angles in particular like game designers have gotten much better at what they do they have 
uh, they added a, a second joystick just for the cameras, which help, which I think we kind of take for granted until you go back and play a game like this. And the games have gotten a lot more fast-paced. There's not nearly as much waiting as there was in the Nintendo 64 era. Well, everything just takes forever, and I don't mean loading times. I mean things like pulling out my gun to shoot. And then, I, I don't know, I remember thing when I went through that first stage, and the challenges were basically shoot the the peanuts at the peanut one and shoot the coconuts at the coconut picture and that lets Diddy out of his cage. <laughs> I was and and that required so much backtracking and circling around and forgetting where I was and I don't know, I thought I can't play a whole I can't play thirty hours of this. I just I just couldn't. In part because it what what I st what, what the experience of fun wasn't there. But if this experience of fun is connected to the pace of your attention span a little bit that can sort of skew what people consider fun, which is why, like, I really don't think that fun should be a relevant criteria for video games, because fun is more of a function of, you know, sort of neuro, you know, neuro, neurodiversity, almost, in between age groups than it is anything else. Uh, not every game that you played as a child is going to be as fun as an adult. Uh, it doesn't mean it can't be, but I think adults... And older people, or, or even older children, are different. It's some, something about, and in a weird way, I think younger kids have a better attention span than adults do. I feel like I spent more time playing Pokemon Red than I will ever play on any other video game to this very day, and I couldn't explain why. If, if that because that doesn't match up with the the narrative that little kids have bad attention spans and grown ups have long attention spans. Uh, I, I don't think it's quite like that. I think it has to do with the rhythm of the media consumed. I think children actually can focus on things a little bit longer as long as they feel invested in it because there's nothing... I feel They probably have a less clouded subconscious where they're not thinking about so many other things beneath the surface about work and relationships and school and all the responsibilities that adults kind of have to have. So you value your time as an adult and you think about your time as a commodity and we're kind of taught to do that. We talk about wasting time. Time is money. Killing time. Kids don't. Kids don't even, haven't really learned to think about that yet. And maybe that's part of it. Hey, it's me, interrupting me, a few days from the future. I'd like to point out a thought that occurred to me while editing this episode. Uh, a difference between children and adults uh, that wasn't mentioned is that for children, the scale of their sense of accomplishment and reward pathways are very different and very short. Uh, kids can finish a coloring book and feel a real sense of accomplishment because relative to their time spent doing anything else, that was a real commitment, a self-motivated commitment, and it took real learning and developing, and they have really no reason to believe that finishing a coloring book shouldn't be used as a basis for their sense of accomplishment and self-esteem. So we end up spending time on the things that we think will give us the best psychological reward. I'm spending time in the morning editing this episode right now because I know I will have a sense of accomplishment and get an internal reward for uh, what I'm doing to build my adult sense of esteem and accomplishment because it's on a scale that matches up with my life at 28 instead of at 8. Uh, catching all the Pokemon seemed like a truly important thing to me in 1998 in a way that probably no video game completion or trophy probably ever will again. So just wanted to butt in there and bring that into the conversation back to the show. That's an interesting observation. In a way, children do, uh, a, a child might like this game a lot more than an adult would, and maybe that's the way it's supposed to be. I mean, it's, it is a kid's game. <laughs> but, uh, that being said, let's delve into the game mm -hmm. a little bit, shall we? Alright, uh, can't really talk about Donkey Kong 64 without at least addressing the donkey rap. Right, the donkey rap. <laughs> I tell you, I loved this rap as a kid. Like I so far so much so that I memorized the words and would like sing it to myself in the shower and stuff. It was very catchy and really helped me get to know the characters. I loved I it. didn't love it that much, but it was funny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh I uh while I was doing some research on for this podcast, I kind of learned that uh I I was not I was uh that was not the popular opinion that it was uh, that it was great. Okay. It was kind of. I mean, uh, in 1999. Yeah, in 1999, most kids and 
teenagers kind of thought it was cheesy and stupid and I just overall didn't like it but uh, that's changing like lately now that people are like going back and looking at it strangely uh, while the people's opinion of this game has gone down the opinions of the donkey rap has gone up conversely so I have two I have two <clears throat> responses to that I have, I have two, two, two thoughts have crossed my mind hearing you say that yeah the first is that people in our age group are more empowered to shape public opinion than ever before and so we are going into an era where our nostalgia goggles are the are now the the going to become sort of the default nostalgia goggles for uh, media mm. institutions now that people in our age group people in their late 20s and 30s are getting real jobs and making movies and writing magazine articles and and creating uh, uh, internet content you know that is that's maybe part of what's happening i wonder if people cared that much about Jimi hendrix in the 80s but then by the 90s he was a big deal because of the age uh, of, of of his fans or, or other people from that era the other thing is that is there's also this weird 20 year effect right where things from 20 years ago always seem to be uh cool but things from maybe five to from 10 to 15 years ago uh kind of look tacky uh, this sort of this weird fashion cycle because the not that I'm an expert on hip-hop because I'm not <laughs> but the kind the pace and the kind of hip-hop that it, the Aki ramp is based off of is in 1999 from the late 80s early 90s it's very pre-sir mix a lot hip-hop that was more where they still had where you could still see people with DJ tables that was like a dated thing by 1999 uh, the hip hop was was changing into into in, in, you know going into a new decade, and that stuff felt very dated at the time. And I would imagine that, as opposed to looking nostalgic, or or of an era, as my dad would say when he like look, looks at old, when, that's his way of referring to an old album that isn't really good, or at least is very cheesy. But he's justifying it because well, it was the seventies. Uh, I think back now we can look back at the donkey rap and say, "Oh, it was the '90s, right?" So this is just how hip hop used to be. So it's a parody of old, older rap. But in 1999, that was probably Nintendo thinking, "This is what this is what the kids want," and it is. And by '99, that was just it, it was da it was just in this uncanny valley of nostalgia where it looks gross instead of looking uh, instead of looking cool. I'm, Rugrats have has the same relationship to disco. Do you remember how many times Stu would talk about disco and how it's coming back, and the other adult characters would say, "No, it's never coming back," because that was 20 years <laughs> later. Not that disco's coming back, but that was still something that was kind of tacky in the early 90s. That adults who were watching would, the adult characters would remember, and some may not. You know, the joke is that Stu is uncool enough to think that it's gonna that it's gonna come back around so i don't know i think that that do, what do you make of either of those interpretations i think that's a really cool thing that it's like nostalgia has like this lifespan and things that we consider lame like right now like what's something lame that something that we think is lame right now that might be cool 20 years from now that's a good question you know, I'm so I'm so removed from popular culture now. Um, a better thing is, what do we think is cool right now that will be lame <laughs> in ten years? That's the more I feel like I could have maybe answered that one. I don't know, like what's lame now? I don't know what because generally there's a there's people in the media that at any given time are uncool to certain groups to most of the media consuming public and are cool to like a very small subsection of usually younger kids uh so i'm i'm tempted to say like justin bieber but i feel like that's dating that's like five years ago not now because uh, i think he's moved on i think his career is different he had i don't i don't know right like okay here think about this remember uh 15 years ago when shia labeouf was such a big star and your sisters would not yeah. shut the fuck up about how much they, they loved Shia LaBeouf. Not. And oh my God. what happened to him? He's he went from being like this 
up-and-coming star to getting his chance in the Indiana Jones movie and then blowing it and then becoming a total weirdo and like he's gone off the grid and people think they saw him in Eastern Europe and he puts these weird art displays are you familiar with what's happened to Shia LaBeouf I am he not has... at all like uh, last last I heard he was in a Transformers movie that's the last I heard uh, of him. he uh, he has totally gone off the deep end apparently uh, he has he did a bunch of weird art exhibitions and he had a lot of very public anti-trump art exhibitions that revolved around live streaming uh, a bunch of people get he could walk up to the camera and talk to it which is just asking for trouble <laughs> and uh, he he kept having that project fail over and over again and he's now somewhat like removed from hollywood and removed from the media's attention and from what i heard recently he was he was living out of the country maybe um but that i i point out that like this is somebody who's had a whole cycle uh and he he, he lived long enough to see himself become the, vi- the, the the villain i don't think he did anything wrong he just became kind of a weirdo but you know who sort of boomeranged back recently of child actors what's that Haley joe osmond have you seen a picture of him recently do you watch silicon no. valley you should. No. Uh, Haley Joe Osment. <laughs> when was the last time you I saw him? I think... Uh, did he make a guest appearance on It's Always Sunny? You know, he might have. Um, it's a thing... Because he's starting to do stuff like that now. But the last thing I saw him in was as the as the as as a voice actor in Kingdom Hearts 2 in 2006. Right? Oh, yeah. And he was in a couple of movies when he was a kid. He was in Sixth Sense. He was in AI. And he just disappeared. He is... Probably, he is much fatter now, but he has the most epic yeah. beard that makes me jealous looking at it. It's amazing. <laughs> and he's he plays these weird he's he's this he plays this really weird character on Silicon Valley that's kind of a, a, a kind of like a Kramer like character who falls ass backwards into into uh, success all the time. He's working on some VR headset. Anyway, Haley Joe Osment, man, he was some cute kid. He disappeared and he's come back. Uh, as a fat, bearded, golden, shining phoenix of a guy who I would like love to hang out with. <laughs> Looking at him now, he looks like something we'd be friend, uh, somebody I'd be friends with. Um, so the nostalgia cycle isn't necessarily the end. No, yeah, you come back. Like it yeah, it's like, a full cycle. Yeah, yeah, it's a full cycle. Now it's not a true repeating cycle. It's a dare I say dialectical cycle that things come back slightly differently because they've been changed because they were followed by some kind of uh, popular antithesis you have a bunch of yeah. you know the, the, this, the easy example is things were much more um, earth toned and uh, unplugged and serious and not serious but maybe a little more um, yeah a little more serious and like sort of the post Beatles 70s uh, of, of rock music and then new wave came along and and all of a sudden everything was overproduced was like very highly produced uh people put started putting product you know uh, rock stars started putting product in their hair things started to be a little more sleek and a little more processed and 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 tech teched out and then by the early 90s uh you get it gets all unplugged and it's ripped jeans and and flannel shirts again right uh it's like before but it's changed because of the experience of the intervening period. Uh, so it moves back and forth on a pendulum, but it's not, it's not a true clock where it's 5 o'clock every day. Imagine if on a, on a new day we had invented new numbers. This is a terrible analogy. But it changes. It's not, it's, it's not like we're sort of stuck. I don't think we're truly stuck in a, in a pendulum, but we are probably on a cyclical path that is like a... Like a I love the analogy of the of the circle rolling forward and every revolution things changing. Uh, I can't get that out of my head the last couple of years of my life, but <laughs> especially the last couple of weeks. Mm. Uh, I keep bringing it into almost every piece of writing and conversation I could think about, but it's I think it's really important. Okay. But well. but the music, I mean the music in that game was kind of was kind of was kind of a little un- annoying-ish, but I-, I I didn't hate it. Um, now you said the music was like like Grant and Evelyn no- no- Novakovic. Is that a Polish name? Uh, yeah, Novakovic. 
uh, I actually think that the music was one of this game's strong points. Um, and yeah, the music was developed by Grant Kirkhope and Evelyn Nopakovic. Um, Grant Kirkhope is actually still doing uh, video game music to this day. Most recently, he's been working on a game for, uh, uh, what was it called? Uh, Ukulele. Mm -hmm. It's being considered the spiritual successor to Banjo-Kazooie. I have heard of this. Uh, which is a... Yeah, and it's... Um, I've never actually played Banjo-Kazooie myself, but you don't... You almost don't even have to play it to know its impact on the gaming community. <laughs> um, Evelyn Nov Novakovic, on the other hand, um, uh, she's worked on just about every DK title to date, excluding the Wii versions. Uh, she's not only a composer, but a voice actress as well. She did the voice of Tiny in this game, whom, by the way, I nominate for Best Kong. We're going to have that conversation. Sure, right? yeah. Uh, you'll meet very little resistance okay. from me. Um, <laughs> I, I guess I like I like the old Kong, because he's the original... I like I like the headcanon that he was the original Kong from the, the arcade game. And then mm. the DK we have now, that DK wearing the tie, is the junior DK. Which makes Diddy the third generation Kong, not the second generation Kong. Yeah. Anyway, uh, before I talk a little bit more about the music, uh, what do you think about the major role? What do you think the major role is for music in a video oh, game? Oh, well, like, music and in, in just sound in general is is something that... Uh, it's weird, because I, I want to say, oh, music is so important, and I think it really is, but uh, the function of music in a game has to sort of work in tandem with the game mechanics and the kind of experience you're supposed to have with the game. Um, mm -hmm. Games that have a demand you sit for long periods of time, which is most games, or at the very least wants you to be at a particular stage or a particular activity in a long period of time, can't have repetitive music. You just can't. If you have, I mean, there's a, as much as you know, we both love JRPGs, but there are a couple JRPGs out there uh, where if I hear the goddamn battle music every couple of steps you know it's it, it's too much because it's an abrupt change which is why one of the things i like is when they can integrate the sound and the uh editing of the game the the sort of the the transitions between panels and windows and areas uh, it's nice when a video game can retain the same sound uh even though you're in different menus. And earlier games, just games prior to 10 years ago, just never did this. You would load a new screen and like the, either a new song would start or the song from the previous area would play again, but from the beginning of the track. So you have to be careful with repetition and not be too repetitive, but you can't have long, what, you, what people would call progressive pieces of music, in part because it's not going to get appreciated because that kind of music really needs to be sat down and listened to with your full undivided attention, like opera. Uh, so you have to kind of strike an interesting balance that fits the tone of the game thematically and the the relationship between sound and the structure. And, and you have to have a good relationship with the sound effects, too. Imagine a game that had a serious Metal Gear Solid-like soundtrack, but it had Donkey Kong 64 sound effects. As you go into like a new area in Metal Gear Solid, that's my inter. That's that's how I'm doing the whatever that is the the the, the, the DK spinny thing that goes in yeah and out between of the every major transition. Yeah, I uh, I for one think that the music is very important for getting the player to feel things, and sometimes I don't think it gets enough credit. Like when I'm experiencing a powerful scene, usually. I'm thinking about the visuals or the characters, but really it's the music that sets the tone and brings it to life emotionally. That being said, I feel that the music for Donkey Kong 64 was very fitting. I mean, whatever emotion you're supposed to be feeling at the time, the music mm -hmm. gets you there. For example, like when you're in uh, Creepy Castle, they play that low-pitch, creepy music with those eerie moans in the background, you know, the... Actually, you didn't even get that far. Well, no. Game, I mean, this, that was what the original <laughs> <laughs> version of this show was. Was me yeah. talking about how I was, I was done, <laughs> and and this is it. I was good. I only, I only got two hours into it, and that's all you're getting out of me. All right. Well, uh, for uh, uh, for the record, it does use the the music. Very I believe well to you. Its I 100 percent like, believe you. Yeah, and oh, another another good example is when you're exploring the crystal caves. In the crystal caves, there's like this crusha that's like i guess above the entire level and like 
every, I don't know, three or four minutes or so, I think, uh, he'll just start, like, hitting the ground, and then stalactites will start falling down on you. And whenever, and whenever that starts to happen, the music goes from, like, this serene, gentle tune to this frantic, uh, to this, to this frantic song that, like, almost, they kind of got my heart beating a little bit. Uh, and it really just enhances the emotional experience. Uh, I guess my main point here is Donkey Kong 60 more, 64 may have had its weaknesses, but its music is definitely not one of them. Donkey rap excluded. Well, hold on. Are you, are you caving on the donkey rap? Do you, are you gonna, are you gonna, <laughs> the cool kid's gonna get you to not like donkey rap anymore? We're gonna hold your ground. Okay. No, I'm gonna. <sighs> My relationship with the donkey rap is so complicated. I don't. I don't think I can. You get clearly it love here. it. You sent. You. You clearly love it. You know all the words. Okay. Yes. Just because. Just because I love it doesn't mean it's not bad. It is bad. Yeah, I but like loving bad That's things is absolutely. <laughs> A thing that I've just had to make peace with as a, as a human being, like <laughs> uh, I, I, I'm, I'm fortunate enough to generally have like taste that matches up with Rotten Tomatoes scores in general for the most part. Although there's a couple of movies that get bad scores that I'm somewhat protective of. I'm very protective of John of the reputation of John Carter. That movie everybody hates, but nobody has seen. I've never met a person who has <laughs> hated that movie and seen it. At the same time, it's always been. Oh, I heard it was bad. Listen, you don't, you don't, you don't watch it. I don't want to hear hear it from you. Uh, but yeah, it is. It is kind of. It it is kind of kind of weird. But you but you do. But there are things you don't like about it. I mean, there are things about. Um, I mean, there are there are things in this game that you didn't like upon re re repeating, and we you know there's that. You have to you have to beat Donkey Kong to beat Donkey Kong sixty four, inside the game. You got to play the game within the game. Yeah. The hundreds of games within the game, yeah. But, I don't know, I think all the mini-games were a really good addition. The, the ones that were good, I loved. Actually, I think I'm going to take this time to uh, to say the, to talk about the one mini-game that okay. I hated. And that is Beaver Bother. I have actually, I've actually prepared a script for this particular one, and okay. I'm just going to read it. This is possibly the worst minigame, not just in Donkey Kong 64, but in video game history. It's glitchy, the goal is stupid, and worst of all, it's just annoying. Even when you get the beaver to walk directly toward the hole, sometimes it will stop before it goes in. It will still do the walking animation as if it's still moving, but it will stop Wait, I gotta at the stop edge. you. What is, this, what is the goal of this game? Tell us, tell us what this game is trying to get you to do. Uh, yeah, sorry. Alright, here's, uh, here's the setup for the minigame. Uh, there is... You know how the minigames, like, take place, like, inside a barrel mm -hmm. most of the time? Like, just this yeah. giant barrel? Well, you're, um... There's this tiny little hole in the middle of the barrel, and you know the little beaver things, the naughties? Mm -hmm. There's, like, seven of those just kind of wandering around, and you... The minigame is you playing as the little green claptrap. You know, that little thing that goes around and goes... Arr! Okay. And what your goal is to press A to scare them into going to the into this stupid hole, but it's a broken game. Like you can get the beaver to go directly towards the hole and sometimes it'll just walk right by it. Like it or it'll like go up to the hole and stop even as he's walking and eventually just walk past it. And there's nothing more maddening to me than that. My mind has changed a lot on what I like about this game. But there's one thing that the 9-year-old me and the 29-year-old me are in complete agreement about. We both really hate this minigame. And I hope... I would rather marathon the 1989 like, Zelda cartoon? Yes, I would rather do that. Huh. Okay, would you rather watch Ultimately, Dragon Ball Evolution? How many, how many viewings of Dragon Ball Evolution would you rather sit through than play 10 minutes of Beaver, Beaver Bother? Oh, God. What's the ratio of Dragon Ball Evolution viewings to Beaver Bother, like, sittings? Okay, the longest the longest uh, game of Beaver Bother I believe is 120 seconds. So let's say I don't know my that's like two minutes of consistent rage. Whereas there were some really high peaks in Dragon Ball Evolution, 
and some points where is where there I'm a high dead. peak in Dragon Ball so, Evolution? The high oh, peak of rage. Oh. The high peak okay. of rage. <laughs> let's let's uh, let's clarify that. Actually, that, that movie right has now. some great strengths. <laughs> <laughs> I will literally fight anybody IRL who like argues that there's anything worthwhile about that movie. <laughs> <laughs> there's nothing salvageable about that. Okay. Um, okay. A ratio. I guess. I guess fourteen minutes of Dragon Ball Evolution is equal to. Two minutes of Beaver Bother. So that's seven. So it's a seven to one ratio, right? All right. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I just wanted. I just wanted to be sure. <laughs> now, just to give you. So a that perspective. must mean then that the Zelda cartoon is very watchable because how many episodes is the Ze- is the eighty nine Zelda cartoon? How many how many Dodongos like in length is the Zelda cartoon from eighty nine? I, I I actually don't know. I tried to like I've watched like the first few episodes. But after that, I tried not to learn as I tried to know as little as possible. I, I've only ever seen series. the dumb memes. I've never actually saying... watched the. Sh- and, I mean, <laughs> I have. I've never bought. I mean, I, I. I may at one point have owned the first volume of Super Mario Brothers Super Show, but I've never <laughs> watched the '89 Zelda cartoon. Uh, I just, I just know the the clips, the famous clips. But you said you'd rather marathon the whole thing, so that that show couldn't have. Uh, okay, hold on. That was an. Well, I just want to make sure that there's mathematical symmetry to your your subject. No, Barry, <laughs> God damn it! <laughs> Sorry. Okay. Just, God damn it! No, no, no. It's over. You ruined it. You ruined it. Thank well, you. I would rather Let's listen go. to a ten minute YouTube video of someone trying to explain to me why Final Fantasy Ten Two is just as good as the original than play Donkey Kong sixty four for an hour. I would rather watch all the Lord of the Rings movies edited in a way that every character is played by Andy Dick. What the fuck? <laughs> what do you have against Andy Dick? Yeah. I would watch in a, t- a whole like a, a Lord of the Rings a one man show by Andy Dick sounds amazing. Really? <laughs> have you seen his stand up? He's All right. He, that man can do voices. I could I could I could see it happening. All right. Yeah, that was my rant on Beaver Bother. I freaking hate it, but yeah, let's talk about something good about this game. Well, I mean, this game is not a pile of shit. In this, I mean, like, it's clearly made with intention. Like, there's a lot of thought that went into this game, and it's just, it's a weird adolescent period for, for, for games. Uh, you have all the, by, by the late 90s, you had Atari was gone, Sega was about to be gone, and uh, you, Sony had it, and Nintendo are emerging uh, as sort of the, the new big two f- until Microsoft shows up and sort of turns it into a, a big three situation. It was a period where you had these new 3D systems and they were becoming really popular and you had to translate something that worked so well on the 2D systems and created franchise and I- franchises and iconic characters on that, st- that, that dimension of platforms and translate it into this into 3D and there are some great examples of this and there are some just not 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 good ones and even the good examples of it are are frustrating even Mario 64 as good as it is feels weird to play uh, despite being very good right so there's a lot of and even though there's a lot of intention there's clearly a lot of intention in, uh, in this game and they thought about what they needed to do I mean my major memory of this game is the multiplayer and that multiplayer is uh, pretty fun you know is is was a good alternative to GoldenEye in this era. Uh, at that point, uh, you because it was an arena shooter. Did you ever play a multiplayer version of this? I know. I know we we never played this game together. Yeah. No. I I played the multiplayer though. I I don't know. I thought it was. I granted this is years and years ago. I haven't had the chance to play it with someone else recently. But I remember it being pretty fun. Well, maybe we can play it when I'm in indie. We can do. We can. We can yeah, record one of these. In this, one of these in the same room, for the first time ever. That'll be great. So okay, we did it. DK sixty four. Right. You know, if people want to read, hear my thoughts. Hear my thoughts about whether video games should be fun. You know, they can read that little article I wrote. Mostly, like it boils down to this idea that I think that fun is fairly arbitrary and limiting a standard to hold necessarily all games to. Uh, and that a game can be good and not fun. And so if I shut off DK sixty four because I'm not having fun. That's a subjective decision, not an objective one. Like, if I were to review the game and said, one out of five stars, it wasn't fun, I think that that's being bad. 
at reviewing things uh, because fun being really a function of people's attention spans and expectations is not really a quality that you can sort of measure. I don't think there's a fun-o-meter, even theoretical uh, liberal arts fun-o-meter and, and dressed up in, in philosophy or, or liter, lit, lit theory jargon holds up, but you can uh, hold it games to other standards too. So I think that this game for sure should be held to the standard of creating a 3D environment that is trying to bridge the gap between those older those older games and this current one. Not that it was the beginning, but it was definitely a game that I don't know. It, it had a, it, I felt like it it, it it had a hard time following up Banjo Kazooie, which was very popular and basically the same the same kind of game because it was rare as well. And Mario 64, which is probably the best 64 game, and it was a launch it was a launch title. Can you think of another game that was a launch title that was the best of the of that system? I can't. Huh. It's all. It almost never happens now. It almost never happens that the launch launch title. I mean, maybe the Switch. Maybe maybe Breath of the Wild is going to be the best game on the Switch if if it fails. Yeah, that that could be. What do you th- have you seen any of the footage of Super Mario Odyssey? We're recording this as E3 is going on, so I don't know if Clay, have you checked the stuff out yet? <laughs> no, I haven't. Um, have you? I have been not. I tend to not watch E3 footage, but I'll listen to like the E3 roundup uh, discussions on either podcasts and YouTube channels. Uh, nothing's, nothing's, I don't care. Like, I saw some Kingdom Hearts 3 footage. It's shinier than ever. It's still not a real game. (laughs) 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 They have lost me. They have so thoroughly lost me. And it's such a bummer. Because in 2004, I was very on board with Kingdom Hearts being an amazing franchise that they could have really like kind of kept me as a lifelong fan on and now kingdom hearts 3 i just just don't care you know why because kingdom hearts 2 has nothing to do with it there are like five games that have come out on five different systems many of which are remixed have come out twice on, on multiple generations of consoles because this game has been taking so long why even have numbered titles if the numbers don't mean anything because clearly they don't. Because two point eight plus two is not three. I don't. I don't. I can't. I. I, I can't. It's just. I just don't care. Yeah, it was just weird. They made a lot of weird decisions in the Kingdom Hearts franchise. I realize we're well, getting off fine. topic who here, cares? but it's worth talking about. Yeah, who cares? Uh, and yeah, I mean, Kingdom Hearts two came out in two thousand and six. I mean, that's eleven years ago, and they didn't. And they've come out with all these strange. And there was a four-year gap between one and two. Yeah, and I've actually played most of those Kingdom Hearts games. I've played most of them, and only one of them is actually like. Like they're not good. They're really not. I I only I only like the which one which was the GBA GBA one. I like memories. That one is. I liked that one a lot actually, because I have never replayed any of the Kingdom Hearts games, like to completion ever. I've only played them all once. If I were to go back by like how I remember feeling about the games from the time I dropped the series, basically in college, Chain of Memories was my favorite one. I remember having arguments with a guy across the hall who said that um, two was the best, and I'm like, two was a total letdown. Chain of Memories was at least something. And that's that's I don't know. I, I feel like Kingdom Hearts like I feel like it's all tease. They have been teasing me with like cool shit and people in black robes and. Underneath the black robes, it's just a bunch of whiny people with bad haircuts. And it's not... It's not... I don't know. Because that trailer... The trailer that prepares you for Kingdom Hearts Chain of Memories, effectively, although they didn't know... I don't think they realized that's what it was going to be at the time, that you got at the after the... I believe it was after the credits on the Kingdom Hearts 1 disc. That's one of the best trailers I have ever seen. And I've seen a lot of trailers. It is the best video game trailer I can think of. It's a really good trailer, uh, and yeah, it leads up to a yeah. good game. And I think but... that uh, I think that Organization Thirteen was awesome. Like, I think that they really played it to their to its max effect in um, in Kingdom Hearts: Chain of Memories and in Kingdom Hearts Two. I liked I liked all the characters and learned all their names and their powers. I, I See, I didn't find them compelling at all because as... I can't remember them anymore. I remember Axel. He's red, red haired. <laughs> yeah, Axel was probably the coolest one. Uh, but I think that's kind of where their reign kind of ended. Like, I liked the concept of a nobody. 
Like, that once your heart was taken, if you had a particularly strong heart, then the remaining vessel starts to move with a will of its own. I thought that was a, I thought that was a cool thing. Mm-hmm. And I think they did a good job with it. But in the subsequent follow-ups, like, uh, not Kingdom Hearts 3, the, obviously. There's the but 3DS one. 2.8. Yeah, and 158 over two yeah, days. That, that, yeah, that, like that was that. a PSP it's, game. No, that was a that was a DS. Oh, there's game. a PSP one too in there somewhere. Yes, the PSP game is Birth by Sleep. It's the only one that's actually worth playing. I don't think I played that one. Like, I think that's the one I have not touched at all. I played this. Okay, uh, that's a shame because it's the one you probably should. Is play. that the? Did that get a 3DS release? Which one was the 3DS one? Uh, the 3DS one. That oh. one was okay, but like it couldn't hold. I just I didn't I didn't give a shit anymore. It was too little, too late. Yeah. I... The gameplay was fun in that one, but the story didn't make any sense. Like, they tried to make it make sense, and it didn't. And and just the, the motivations, the time travel... Like, I feel I like they get. can't commit was... to whether these in-between games count or not. Exactly. That is exactly what it is. So, I mean, should I have to play them all? And if they are all kind of teasing... That's what I mean by teasing. Like, everything feels like it's a tease. And, you know, Sora's arc is over... Riku's arc is over. Kyrie's arc is over. What else is there to do? They found King Mickey. I mean, whatever the plot of this games are, I don't even remember anymore. Uh, like, what does Sora have left to do other than because there's, I guess, two ends with the letter, because it's it's a little bit like the yeah. end of Back to the Future where it's like, oh, there's a thing, sequel bait, and then like cuts to credits. But it was so vague, yeah. even more vague than in the first one, where they're walking down that road. I'm just I, I, Riku has had a moral like he was an interesting character because he had he was sort of was a the anti-hero villain type character who had to have a, a redemption arc and he had that Kyrie also has an arc of not being being not being saved anymore or whatever yeah like, she had her keyblade at the end of two of yeah she correctly. does something like, like Riku just pulled yeah, Riku just pulled out another Keyblade randomly. He's like, here, use this. He's like, okay. Well, now the Keyblades are and fucking everywhere. Fighting. Now there are fields. Fields exactly. of everybody. You get a Keyblade. You get a Keyblade. Remember when it was special? <laughs> remember when Keyblades meant something? Yeah. Pepperidge Fire remembers. I remember. Yeah, that's right. There used to be just one Keyblade for the Light Realm and the Dark Realm. One held by Sora and one held by Mickey. I think that what I would have done if I were in charge of Kingdom Hearts, not that, like, I am in a position where I should be allowed to do this. But I think I would have never gone back to Sora and Riku um, and Kairi. And I would have just... it's There's so many possibilities in a multiverse-type situation. Just create new characters. Just have it be set somewhere else in the vast intellectual property universe that is Disney and Squaresoft. Uh, and just do something else. Uh, have it be create original characters for something else, maybe have some other kind of tangentially related Keyblade business or whatever, but then do sort of multiverse DC universe style world building where this is like, this is Destiny Island 2 and it's a totally different timeline. Like do interest, I mean, maybe maybe that's what these games are like, but that's what I would do. But I wouldn't try to shoehorn in um, characters who have sort of completed their stories because at that point... That's the thing about characters that have completed their arcs, and I did I did say this in the you I, I I kind of alluded to this in the Yu Yu Hakusho uh, piece I, I published today, but published I posted, come on, I posted today, but I published <laughs> yeah you know my my <laughs> um I posted today you know it was about character arcs and and Yusuke's character arc in, in Yu Yu Hakusho and what what counts as him sort of completing the emotional change that he needed to go through. But once a character becomes the master of their own domain and chooses their destiny, and if they choose to become the the master of the of the special world, the master of the world of adventure, then they there's literally only other one one other story they can tell. <clears throat> if if the regular story, if a regular hero's journey is the journey from adolescence to adulthood, the op, the only other story that in human existence that you can tell with that character again is the is their death, is a character that was on top. That went down. Once you're at the top of the ideological world of your story, you become the king of the land or whatever, you can only have a downfall, which is why uh, the Dune Messiah is such an interesting follow-up to, to Dune 
uh, because it's just about how everything we thought that was important is actually garbage. It's very, it's like Oedipus, right? Oedipus, there, you could have, they could have told some other story. I think of some other non, not Sophocles, but some other Greek po Greek poets wrote stories about Oedipus prior to uh, uh, Sophocles' Oedipus cycle, but Sophocles is interested in telling the story of how, what do you do with a character who has everything? Well, at the end of your life, you have to atone for what you've done, and you have to pay the price of your mistakes and so he is a hero who made a lot of mistakes on the way and so you have to bring them down and ultimately either kill them or ruin them and so he ends that play stat crawl, scratching his eyes out because he found out he was having sex with his mother and had killed his father uh which is of course a very bad thing to do in greek culture right it's about as bad as it gets if, if the characters are complete and you're not willing to turn them into a tragic figure a shakespearean or a greek kind of tragic hero then just let the story be over just let it be over and, and do something different uh don't do prequels don't do unnecessary sequels with suspended animation where the hero another thing that happens is heroes sometimes are delayed the final the final transition from being uh a, a, an adolescent to being a master of of their of their domain so that's kind of what this is the goku problem uh why does goku continue to have the same emotional maturity and character development that he had from the very beginning basically from the beginning of dragon ball z uh because the, he needs to be around to fight more colorful bad guys that's what the story sort of becomes uh so i'm concerned that kingdom hearts 3 is sora and riku with new voice actors fight colorful bad guys but they fight the moana bad guy mm -hmm. the big volcano they just they fight they fight the frozen bad guy the red-haired dude and that's just what's going to be it's just going to be more of the same and that's why i don't care that's that's why i don't care mm. i could be wrong i'll still buy the game what am i kidding <laughs> it looks really cool it looks very yeah. pretty it's the most shiny i've could imagine having played that game from you know back when it came out in 02 like it's a fairly shiny game compared to what we had i mean the ps2 for game looked looked good though back then i still think it looks kind of good yeah it does well cool thanks for sticking around i'm gonna click uh go away <laughs> go away